Pistol. Okay. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for the Interledger Protocol Community Call. Uh, we have a lot of people today. Thank you so much. Uh, we also have a packed agenda from last time. Um, so we're going to try to get through our regular updates as fast as possible. So we get to the, uh, to the open discussion points so we can give Adrian as much time as he needs to kind of take us through some of the, the new open payment stuff. Um, kicking off today, kicking off today, Uchi with the coil update. Uchi? Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks, Alex. So from the coil side, I just wanted to share event opportunities that uh, are coming up uh, this month. So uh, at Open Source Festival Africa, it's happening in Lagos, Nigeria, and virtually. Uh, Stefan is going to be giving a talk, uh, a keynote titled Building Open Systems for Global Payments. Now we're talking about Interledger, digital currency to offline currency. I'll share a link to that for those of you who are interested. You can join remotely. Uh, and then Atmosfest also, for those of you who are aware, is the first time we're trying out the uh, tipping feature, web monetization tipping feature, which is built on Interledger. So you get uh, tips from uh, the Interledger network powered by Coil. So definitely, if you're not attending Atmosfest, you can still register to attend and you automatically get an email with uh, a tip credit, which lets you try out the tipping feature. You can send it to any website that has web monetization enabled. And it's the first time that this is out there. So really excited to have more people uh, try it. I'm gonna share the link to the Mozilla Festival. And that's all from the coin side, Alex. Thank you, thank you, Uchi. If you haven't tried the uh, if you haven't tried the tipping feature, it's really cool. Cool. Um, I think I got a little bit trigger happy with Mosfest and spent through my tips in like a matter of minutes. But um, fingers crossed, I'll manage to get some more next month. Uh, it was really it was really good to see that. Okay, for the next update, let's do let's do the Rafiki update. Sabine. Sure. So um, on the Rafiki side, we have started implementing the open payment version two spec that Adrian is going to talk about a little bit later. Um, that is our main focus now going forward. Um, and then also over the last month, mainly Brendan has been working on um, all the webhooks to, for the interaction between the Rafiki and the uh, underlying um, payment provider. So that um is, is is mainly there now um also we have been getting more organized um alex and brianna took on the um, project management and started uh, to create a bunch of new issues that we can work through we also started um organizing those um, we have a new board now um github has this new um feature this new projects feature which is a, a more of a linear um approach where it's not like a Kanban board but just a table um, and uh, we we're using that now so um, feel free to check out what is in the pipeline and um, we're still working on and uh, prioritizing and um, getting milestones in place and putting estimates on like how long things will take in there um, but I hope that we finish to do that uh, very soon we have another call set up um, on Friday, so after that, it's even more organized. Um, I think that mainly covers it. Uh, if I forgot anything, Brendan or Alex, feel free to add to what I said. I I can't think of anything else. Um, I've I've linked to the milestones and the the discussion boards. If anybody wants to check, there's also a discussions. Uh, oh no! The other thing is we've opened up the yeah probably the other thing is we've opened up the Rafiki, um, the Rafiki call to outside contributors. It's public now, so if you want to join us in the Rafiki call, I will share the I will share the details for the call both in the Rafiki repo and in the agenda for today. And if you want to join that, uh, you can. It's Monday uh, every Monday on a similar time slot to this. I think it's an hour after this time slot. Yeah, an hour after this time slot. And it's open for a community member. Just talking about community members, I think we have one of them, uh, one of them with us here today. Um, he's reached out wanting to contribute to, to Rafiki, Imran. 
Hi, um, who's Hi. also joined the joined the 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 Rafiki calls, and you can you can do that as well. Thank you, Sabine, for the uh, for the Rafiki update. I'm gonna give the ILF update really quick. So um, first things first, we've probably seen Vinil around in the past week. And that's because Vinil has joined us in the past week as the new community manager for Interledger. Vinil, do you want to say hi to people? Hi, Jivan. Uh, thanks, Alex. Uh, it's been uh, 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 quite excited to be part of the Interledger team. And I think I've already had a exciting week uh, with all the things that's going to happen with uh, MostFest. I also got quite excited trying out the call tipping feature and i'm still sort of navigating through all the things coming my way and uh, really looking forward to uh, working with uh, each of you thank you vinil uh thank you vinil um everybody give a warm welcome to vinil you'll probably see him driving this call from next month as well so you'll see him reaching out to each one of you for the um for your updates um ian has a Ian has a question. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was trying to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a high five. Okay. Okay. Um, great. So that's, uh, that's one of the ILF updates. Um, the, the other ILF updates are we've worked on the uh, weaponization spec again. We've just met this morning with Sabine and Marcos and Mohammed, and we're really, really happy uh, with the way the spec looks right like right now uh me and muhammad are working on documentation uh if you want to help out with docs and, and stuff like that the documentation issues are public on the the on the weaponization repo um but after we've got the docs ready we're going to release that on the website that both the spec and the docs are going to be live on the website the development team and by development team i mean nick uh released preview um preview extensions for both chrome and firefox if you want to test out the new specification the one that works will link i'll drop the links to both of those extensions in the agenda as well um, one of the other issues on the agenda is we're deep in MOSFest um, as the coil team chris if you want to give a brief update feel free to do so I'm going to take that as a yes. Uh, sorry, yes, stumbling to unmute. Um, yes, if you probably heard about it and lots of folks here are participating, but basically it's a big experiment with this um, coil tipping feature. Um, it kicks off this week at the festival, but really, you know, these these coil accounts run for six months and the, the you know, you, you have ten a long time to spend the ten dollars so we'll be doing a lot of curation post festival as well um although we are starting to see projects uh, i believe ian um and his blog which talks about web monetization and uh, on a pretty regular basis has received some tips and as well as some others so um yeah we're there's lots of conversations being sparked i can put something in the chat about upcoming sessions for the rest of this week but the festival really is a plant place to experiment to activate people it'll really be the weeks and months afterwards where we might start to see you know some of the interesting things that evolve and projects that start to benefit from a diversified model of web monetization thanks alex thank you chris um thank you chris the um the other updates have been touched on it a little bit uh, we're trying to we're trying to product manage rafiki uh, right now, we're doing the, the current milestones are around implementing the open payment APIs without the grants, just the open payment APIs in there, and making Rafiki run locally or figuring out how to deploy Rafiki locally and then deploy in a Kubernetes cluster. The uh, next milestones we're gonna we're gonna work on them. We're gonna work on them tomorrow. No, not tomorrow on Friday. It's probably gonna relate the grants and how we implement NAP round. But if you'd like Rafiki to do anything, if, you'd, if you have any feedback, feel free to open an issue on the Rafiki repo and uh, we'll triage that, we'll address it, we'll, we'll take this as an enhancement welcome type of project. So if you have any, anything you'd like Rafiki to do, just make an issue in, in GitHub and we'll, we'll look at it and we'll prioritize that and we'll put it on the board. Uh, last but not least, we're starting to interview for the TypeScript developer role this week uh the one we're trying to, to hire for rafiki development 
Uh, that means you've still got time if you want to apply for uh, for the type three role. You've still got time to apply. We're only kickstarting the the interviews this week. Plenty of time to still apply. I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be super sad about the Finboss team stealing somebody in the process. I'm not gonna be super sad about it. Um, but I think that concludes the ILF updates, and I'm gonna pass it on to Adrian for the Finboss update. Thanks, Alex. Uh... Yeah, as you alluded to, we um, made a new hire uh, recently. So very happy to have Amesh join the team. Um, he's been a member of the community for a while. Uh, he's joined us on a, a short contract just to um, uh, give him a, a start. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see where things go from there. Um, but very excited to have him on, on, on board. And I know Matt's been keeping him busy. Um, Otherwise, from our side, uh, you know, product development continues in earnest. Lots of work. Uh, every time we do something, two new things pop up that we need to, we need to get done. Um, progress with our um, partners has been good. So um, we're confident we'll be able to launch uh, with the ability to sign customers up in the US, UK, Europe very soon, and then do payouts and, and payments. Uh, into other countries um, as well, but but at least getting um, uh, uh, account holders resident in those countries um, from day one or very soon after launch. So uh, still tracking pretty well for a private beta uh, in the next uh, few weeks to a month. A lot of this is now dependent on our partners and the due diligence process we're going through with them um, and how long that's going to take. So. Uh, if anyone's interested, um, a lot of the sort of due diligence between financial institutions for payments and so on is getting standardized to some extent. Um, so one of the things that we have to complete and that what most entities would have to complete if they want to join a payments network is uh, a questionnaire that's been standardized between some of the biggest correspondent banks called the Wolfsburg Principles. Uh, so if you go online, um, you can just search for Wolfsburg Principles, you'll find it. I think it's wolfsburg-principles.com. Um, there's a document called the Central Bank Due Diligence Questionnaire, CBDDQ. Uh, and, and that's a comprehensive questionnaire that uh, entities uh, fill out as respondents in a correspondent banking relationship to explain everything um, about who they are, uh, who the beneficial owners of the company are, what they do, what what the um, actual services they provide, and then into details like their AML policies, their anti-bribery and corruption policies, um, their sanctions, uh, screening policies, transaction monitoring, all of that stuff. So, as you can imagine, you know, filling all of that out and and preparing all of the compliance manuals for ourselves internally is taking a bit of time, um, but we're getting there slowly, and that's. Uh, that's sort of one of the big milestones we need to get over to to get live with uh, Fainbos. Um From Matt and the team, I think the development side is going really well. Um, I'm excited to have, I think, stabilized what uh, the open payments APIs will look like. So I know Sabine and Brandon and the team are doing a great job starting to implement all of that into Rafiki. Um, it's been quite a mammoth effort. So thanks everyone for the help on, on getting that done. It's, it's one of those where the APIs are so simple, but the use cases are so diverse that we have to try and think really carefully about, you know, how each use case would work given the APIs. And it's, um, you know, every time you change one thing to accommodate a use case, you have to think about the knock-on effects for others. So hopefully we've got a good starting point here. We won't support all use cases out the box, but um, We've, we've got a good start, and I'll, I'll take some time to go through all of that uh, uh, after this update. Um, otherwise, uh, I've been doing some work on a basic public key infrastructure that we're going to need to bootstrap the system. So as I'll explain during the open payments session, one of the um, prerequisites to use open payments APIs is that um, uh, you'd use the grant negotiation and authorization protocol, which means all transactions, all, all requests are signed. Um, so when you make requests to the APIs, you need to sign them with a, a, a key, and your public key is what identifies you as a client. Now, to help bootstrap 
the whole network, we want to set up a central registry of clients and their keys where anyone can register, verify the information, um, import keys or, or generate keys to use um, on their systems as a client. So I've just been putting something very basic together to get us started. Uh, and that I should be able to um, share probably by the next call a basic uh, idea of how that works. I've got a design doc done and a basic prototype mocked up. So that's the updates from Fainbo's side. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Um, are you gonna are you gonna cover the um, the changes for open payments from what used to be open payments into what's now open payments? And sure, yeah, 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 I'll do that. Okay. Um, okay so I've got a, some like very basic slides and then I can take people through the new docs, uh, which we've started deploying on readme.io. Um, okay, with that in mind, thank you for the Finbos update, Adrian. Thank you everybody else for the, for the updates. Um, we've managed to cover a lot of ground in a little bit of time, so Adrian, um, You've got the, the floor for the open payments debate. Cool. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to just share my screen. I've got a very basic slide deck. Um, no styling, nothing special, but lots of code <laughs> snippets, um, which I'll share with everybody. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, There we go. Um, just hide the controls. Cool. So um, can everyone see this just before I carry on? Yes. Um, and I'm happy to share this later. It's, it's a work in progress. I'm going to keep updating this as we go. Um, but, but at a high level, what's open payments? What are the goals? And, and just a brief intro um, for anyone who's new to it. So some background before I start, we, we developed uh, the open payments idea and the set of APIs that we called open payments about two years ago. Um, if you go to openpayments.dev today, you can you see uh, where we documented that. Um, the idea was to have an application layer protocol where you know um, entities, uh, you know, like wallets or banks or anyone can uh, interact with one another to set up a an interledger payment. Um, we implemented them in a in a demo wallet called Rafiki, and we um, uh, implemented a number of use cases and used them to demonstrate uh, how we do things like online checkouts and um, recurring payments and so on. So uh, there was really, you know, I think a really useful validation of the concepts. Um, what we never did was implement open payments in any live you know, real money, interledger, cable wallets. So another Uphold or GateTab or Coil have implemented the APIs. Um, our goal at Fainboss is to, to go live from day one with open payments APIs. And so account holders would be able to access their own accounts through the APIs or delegate access to their accounts to third parties through these APIs. Uh, and there's, you know, a lot of reasons why we think that's a very powerful feature to have on an account. So what are the open payments APIs? They're, they're basically a standard um, that can be implemented by anyone who holds accounts. So um, general account servicing payment service providers, so banks, digital wallets, mobile money providers, remittance providers, anyone that hosts an account for somebody could expose these APIs um, as a way of uh, accessing the underlying account. Um, and then we talk about sort of three gen general roles within an interaction. We talk about the, the client who's the, the entity accessing the accounts. And then um, both uh, GNAP, which is the authorization protocol we use, and OAuth2 and others uh, often refer to resource servers and authorization servers. So we stick to that separation of concerns in, in how we think about open payments as well. Open payments is really implemented by the resource server. So the, the entity that's hosting the account would expose these APIs, but they could, um, the uh, authorization APIs, the APIs you use to fetch access tokens could be hosted by uh, the same entity or some other entity. And we generally think of that as the authorization server. So what are the open payment APIs allow you to do? Uh, very similar to open banking, um, they allow you to connect to an account and get transaction information, uh, initiate payments, but also do things like um, 
create incoming payments, which is an unusual concept. If you think about it, uh, you, you connect to somebody's account and tell them that you want to pay them. But by being able to do that, there's some really interesting um, and powerful use cases that, that I think we unlock there. So um, the goal with open payments is, is that it's really simple. Uh, we want open payments to be standard HTTP based APIs, nothing complicated. It should be possible for applications to build an open payments client directly into the application. They shouldn't need to go through aggregators. Uh, they shouldn't need to be, um, ultimately the protocol shouldn't be dependent on a, a central registry or pre-registration of clients. Uh, although we are going to put one together to bootstrap, we're intentionally designing that so that it's not the protocol um, doesn't depend on it. Uh, so the idea should be that any application, for example, Coil, um, can just connect to uh, the OpenPaint APIs on any wallet and the experience for their end user would be exactly the same. It doesn't matter which wallet they bring to their Coil account and connect. Um, they should, Coil should have the same capabilities and shouldn't have to do custom integrations to each wallet. Uh, so that's the that's the goal. It's 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 a really difficult thing to do to create standardized APIs so that a client can connect to multiple services using the same APIs uh, and get that right. But we're hoping you know we can we can achieve that by keeping things simple. A key a key thing to open payments is that we stick to web primitives. So. Um, in theory, you could think of uh, a lot of existing payment rails as um, being a way to access an account. So if I give you my card number, if you have the capabilities, you can get money out of my account. So in theory, I'm, I'm giving you a connection to my account. I'm giving you a handle that allows you to you know, draw money from my account once or for multiple times. What I don't have when I give you that um, handle, when I give you my card number, is the ability to control that with any sort of granularity. I can't say, you know, that I give you a one the the ability to do it once off, um, or the ability to do it uh, up to a certain amount per month. Uh, increasingly, there's services like privacy.com and others that allow you to issue virtual cards to achieve those um, sort of use cases, which for us is a validation that that's something people want and that's that's really valuable. Um, but with uh, open payments, well, everything is a URL. So uh, payment pointers are the sort of heart of the whole open payments protocol. And what a payment pointer is, is just a URL. So uh, as you'll see in the docs, I say um, all payment pointers are URLs, but not all URLs are payment pointers. So for a URL to be a payment pointer, it needs to be hosted by a resource server that supports open payments. Uh, it needs to represent an actual account. And when you query that URL, you need to get back a standard open payments response, a payment pointer query response, uh, which I'll show you an example of in a second. Um, what's great about payment pointers is, is, as I say here on the slide, they're a bit like a virtual debit card number, but with superpowers in that you have this granular control over them. But you can also give them out to people as a way to get paid, not just to make payments. So I can give you my payment pointer and you can send me money. Uh, it's not just something I would give you to be able to take money from me or request payment from me. Um, so quite a powerful thing. Uh, and then payment pointers have two formats. So as a URL, they obviously, they look like a URL uh, with the caveat that they're always HTTPS, so they're always secure. Um, but they can have a shortened form uh, where we replace the HTTPS prefix with a, a dollar sign. Uh, just to make them recognizable as payment pointers, make them a little bit shorter and easier to transcribe. And there's a special form for uh, URLs that have no path, which is in the docs. You can you can look at that. Um, basically, the first thing you're likely to do if somebody gives you a payment pointer as a client is you're going to query. So you're going to make a GET request against that payment pointer. Um, and what you'll get back is a response that tells you uh, some very basic information, the, the ID of the account, which would be the URL you just created, unless there was a redirect, uh, the assets code and scale of the account. So what, what's the underlying currency of the account? Where do you go to get access tokens, the auth server? And then a public name as well. So the account holder or the account holding institution would give the account holder an opportunity to put some sort of name there that they want to put to, to help them 
their account get recognized by clients. So if I give you my payment pointer, um, I might just put um, my name Adrian Adrian uh, Feinbos or something, just so you know. Okay, this is um, the you know that that's who this is. So I don't. It's it's to more catch uh, human error than anything. It's not a verification value. Uh, it's just a public label. Um, so I can put anything I want. I can put uh, Bill Clinton on there if I want to. Doesn't mean that the account is actually owned by Bill Clinton. Um, and, and another important thing to remember with payment pointers is uh, the entity that hosts your account can give you as many payment pointers as they want. So I can have uh, different payment pointers with different public names if I want to, uh, all pointing at the same underlying account. So I could um, have a work one and a personal one, but actually under the hood, it's the same account. And, and as a client, you don't know that. And even if you do know that, um, you shouldn't treat you shouldn't treat them as the same account. You should treat the payment pointers independently because the access tokens that you get granted will be tied to the payment pointer, not to the account. So, what are the details that get back in there? I've sort of explained those already, so I'm not going to go uh, through that in detail. But what we can have a look at is uh, a very simple use case of I've given you my payment pointer because I want you to send me some money. And the first thing you're going to need to do is create an incoming payment. So what you would do is post to the uh, incoming payments part, and I've managed to get this wrong. I apologize. I've been updating here. The incoming payments um, path of my account, which would be the payment pointer with the um, path um, segment incoming payments. Um, and there's a, a standard um, data model for incoming payments. Um, this is a pretty minimalistic one where I've just specified the amount I'm going to pay and given a description. Um, what this means is that when the actual payment comes in over Interledger, um, there's no need for me to attach verbose metadata uh, to the actual Interledger payment. The Interledger payment stays very simple. It's just packets of money um, sent to an address. And the address that uh, the packets are sent to, as you can see down here, are specifically generated for this incoming payment. So if I were to create a new incoming payment, I would get a new address back and a new shared secret back from the, uh, from the account uh, provider. So that's really powerful in that it allows the uh, Maya wallet who gave me this payment pointer to reconcile all of the incoming money that it receives over the Interledger network. Um, to these incoming payments. So you can imagine in my statement on my account, I'm not going to have a, a line item for every um, ILP packet I received. I'm going to have a line item for every incoming payment. Um, so it's a nice way of, of creating that separation between packets of money arriving and actual payments. So the, the sort of the business logic concept of a payment versus the transport layer concept of just money moving and, and landing in the account. Um, at a very high level, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this today, but, but we can maybe do a more detailed discussion of GNAP in the future. Um, so GNAP or GNAP, the grant negotiation and authorization protocol, is how we do um, authorization of the APIs. What you might do is if you try to create an incoming payment, you might get a response like this, a 401 unauthorized with a link to the um, authorization survey URL. And you'll note that that's exactly the same URL that came back in the um, in the query to the payment pointer. Uh, and in order to get a grant to, to do whatever I was trying to do, I'll then submit a grant request um, to, the, uh, to the grant uh, endpoint, the grant access endpoint, and this follows the grant negotiation and authorization protocol. So there's all we've defined here is some specific formats for these access um, tokens. So when you request an access token, you define the actual access you want to get. Um, and we've started to define the specifics of how these would work. In this case, I'm requesting access to create an incoming payment and also read the incoming payments that I create. Um, and I'm tying it to Alice's account. So I, I'm asking to only specifically create incoming payments on Alice's account. You can see some of the um, hints at the way the requests are um, uh, authenticated here. So what we do is um, we create a digest of the body. So just a, a SHA-256 um, hash digest of the body. And then we create a signature over that digest and some of the headers. And uh, 
these are all standardized um, uh, HTTP message signature uh, protocols as well. Um, and you can see in the request where I describe myself as the client, I say that I'm identifying myself through proof of ownership of a key using an HTTP signature. So the signature here would be using this key that's, that I specify in the JWK. So that can sound a little bit scary and, and um, looks like you know pretty complicated stuff. Uh, it's not, and we're using a very limited profile. So we're gonna limit the mechanisms of doing um, validation and the key types down to a very small subset so that we can ensure interoperability and then we'll expand that as required. So for now, we're only supporting um, JWKs. We're only supporting uh, ED25519 um, signatures. Uh, we're only supporting message signatures as a way of doing uh, key validation. So GNAP supports a bunch of, or CNAP supports a bunch of others like uh, MTLS uh, and others. We're, we're gonna keep it simple for now and we can expand if there's um, a, a need to do so. Um, this would be an example response from the from the OR server. You see, I've got back the access token. There's the value that I will then use in my subsequent request. I've got a, a management uh, endpoint that I can use to um, refresh this token if it expires. You can see it expires in uh, quite a long time, quite a few seconds. And then there's a description of the access I've been granted. And this might not be exactly what I asked for. It may be narrower or broader. In this case, you'll notice that um, the also has said, well, um, I, it's going to give me an access token that allows me to create incoming payments for any of its customers because incoming payments are a low risk thing. I'm not able to access their accounts to take any money. Um, it trusts me as a client. It's, it's probably looked me up in a whitelist or whatever the case may be. Um, we don't define the policy. Um, for issuing of grants in, in open payments. We just define the, um, the protocol for requesting and, and issuing the grants. So in this case, um, the auth server has decided they don't want to issue uh, a new access token to me every time I want to create an incoming payment on a different one of their customer accounts. So now I've got an access token that's um, useful across the whole of Blue Bank, uh, specifically for creating incoming payments. Um, so let's assume then I post that, um, I, I attempt to create that payment again, um, and I use the token and it was created successfully, uh, I can now pull that incoming payment um, and I'll get back uh, something like this that gives me details on the, on the payment. I apologize, it's probably quite small, um, but you can see I've got the incoming amount over here that I uh, originally specified and I've got the description I specified, but what I get back is the ILP address to send to, the shared secret to use, um, as well as uh, an indicator of the amount that's been received and the state of the payment. Uh, and I can go through the sort of state flows in a second. So that's, that's a very high level overview of how open payments works. I wanna expand this um, deck to include outgoing payments as well. But what I'll do is I'm gonna switch over um, and, and walk through some of the docs uh, just to explain those. But before I do that, let me stop and, and see if there's any questions or comments. Um, I have one. So mm -hmm. in, the, in, this, in this version of it, what on openpayments.dev is referred to as invoices is here incoming payment? Correct. So and then yeah, mandated outgoing payment. Uh, not exactly. Sort of, <laughs> and so that's the that's the that's I'll explain the subtle difference. But um, let me start with invoices. So invoices are a well understood concept. I you owe me money, I issue you an invoice. I don't really ever create an invoice for me to pay you money. I, I like that's just a weird concept, and so. Um, we wanted to get away from the idea that an invoice is the same as a payment. It's not like you can, you can issue me an invoice and I can make three payments. Like the payment terms for that invoice might be that I pay you, you know, 20% every month for, for five months or something like that. So instead we have the concept that I can create an incoming payment and I can provide an external reference 
which would be like an invoice number or some way for you to reconcile the payment to that invoice. Um, so we, the incoming payment is just a way of saying, I want to make a payment into your account. Um, so I have your payment pointer. I know um, I want to pay you. I'm going to create an incoming payment so that I can make a payment into your account. And I'm able to specify things like uh, a description. So a free text description, like I want to send a message with a payment or an external reference. So I want to put an invoice number or a purchase order number or something in there. I can specify the exact amount I want you to receive um, so that uh, I can send multiple interledger packets until that payment is fully completed. So if I'm you know, streaming lo lots of small packets to pay a large amount, um, you know how much I'm actually intending to pay. So you can stop receiving packets once I've fully paid the incoming payment. Um, those are the kinds of those are the kinds of things that we want an uh, incoming payment to support. But importantly, it also solves a problem we had previously, which is if I create an incoming payment without a, a receive amount, so I don't tell you how much I'm going to send. I have the ability to tell you when I'm finished sending, so that you can consider that payment complete and you can. Um, put it into your user's statement and tell them they received a payment and this is the amount and so on. So if I want to send you a payment, but I have a fixed send amount from my side and I don't actually know how much you're going to receive. So an example might be, I'm going to send you a tip, but I want to send exactly $1 from my account. I'm not sure how much you're going to receive, but I'm going to start streaming that dollar. I need a way to tell you I'm finished streaming. And that doesn't exist in, for example, SVSP today. So uh, what an incoming payment allows me to do is create the incoming payment, start streaming into it, and then update it to be completed um, when I'm done. So that's the difference between an invoice and an incoming payment, but solving very similar use cases. Mandates and outgoing payments do solve the similar use cases. The difference is that the mandate was um, created as a way to track outgoing payments, but also to track permissions. So it was kind of fulfilling both um, both uh, roles. And, and so you created a, to, to be able to send money out of someone's account, you created a mandate on their account, which defined what you wanted to do. And then you requested authorization to execute that mandate, as opposed to requesting authorization to perform some actions and then doing those actions. So creating outgoing payments, creating incoming payments and so on. So we think this is a, a cleaner model where every time I want to send money out of someone's account, I'll create an outgoing payment on their account and I'll specify exactly how much I want to send. Is it a fixed send amount, a fixed receive amount? Am I sending to an incoming payment? Am I sending just straight to an account? Um, it, Etc. And and to do that, I need to have the requisite access tokens. I need to have been granted access to be able to do that. But those access tokens are tracked by the authorization server, not by the resource server. The whether I have access or not is something that should be tracked in an authorization system. How much I've sent and how that corresponds to the access I have is then tracked by the resource server. So I can go into a bit more detail on that now, but that's at a high level, yes. The mandates and invoices have gone away. Incoming and outgoing payments have replaced them, and I think have made the API simpler. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see what people think. I feel like the uh, the real test here is going to be the first client that tries to implement these. Correct. Correct. Because putting them into Rafiki and baking them into Rafiki, it's, it's a good indicator of, how easy it is for us to implement them. Uh, for example, mandates and the reason we're switching away from mandates uh, is, is a good one. But the, the true test is going to be when somebody builds a client for it. And Com completely, it. yeah. So so luckily, um, Brandon and Samina have been really helpful here. They, they're, you know, they know the Rafiki code, which is effectively the implementation of these APIs better than anyone and, and have been providing really useful suggestions and and recommendations. And so we've implemented a bunch of things 
uh, that have come out of you know comparing, for example, state transitions with how Rafiki actually handles the state of outgoing payments, um, those kinds of things. So I, I think I think we're in a good space. Uh, as you say, the true test will be when this gets implemented by a client, um, and we and 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 we find out. <laughs> um, so. Quick introduction to this new site. Um, I spent a bit of time researching good documentation mechanisms and methods. Um, one thing that we had previously was quite extensive use of content types um, to disambiguate requests. It felt nice and clean. It was really difficult to work with. Um, very few tools support that idea. If you want to create clients in different languages or servers in different languages, um, different uh, processing based on content type or even just routing requests to different places based on content type is really challenging. So um, we went back to path-based routing. Uh, and so instead of, you know, posting incoming and outgoing payments all to the payment point of URL, you append the appropriate path um, segment to them to be able to uh, indicate what you're trying to do. Um, one of the nice advantages of that is we now have um, this, I'm actually going to just pull up another screen, which I'll quickly share with you, is that a lot of the very popular tooling um, for uh, uh, API design is now you know, very useful and usable um, uh, for these APIs. So I've used two different tools actually um, in putting these together. Um, I'm going to share a different tab with you very quickly, which is um, uh, Stoplight, where I initially designed the APIs and was able to produce the um, the Open API spec. So this gives you a, a relatively basic API, you know, overview of the APIs. But what's really nice is um, this produced an open API specification, uh, you know, the, the, the full spec um, doc I'm trying to find. Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, and this is what that looks like. So there's, you know, the API spec for um, open payments. Uh, and what was really cool was I could take that, import that into README, um, README.io, and then augment that with a whole bunch of really nice documentation. So we've ended up uh, with API reference here. Uh, it does then, the same as well. So you can once once you have this in README, you can export it from README as Open API. Well, you can only synchronize with an existing Open API spec. The design side of README um, wasn't as good as Stoplight, but it's done now. So I don't, I don't really need to use Stoplight anymore. Um, it was just it, it it was a nice kind of graphical way of editing the um, the uh, like the spec as I was sort of working on it. I was effectively working on the raw spec, but then using Stoplight as kind of a graphical editor. And then what was quite nice is once I pulled that into here into README.io. Then I can, uh, you know, um, move around the the menus and and for example, add additional documentation. So all of this stuff here, like diagrams and so on, isn't in the spec. These are README.io editions. Um, so I would encourage folks to come and have a look at stocks.openpayments.guide. Um, for now, that's where it's going to live. It's it's got a nice uh, breakdown reference of of the full API. So I'll quickly talk them through. Get getting a payment pointer. That was the um, that was the example I showed you earlier. Everything here assumes that um, is you know uses one of two uh, API um, payment point examples, Alice or Bob. Uh, a next step that we want to do is actually host those payment pointers and be able to test them. Um, so that when you sit here and try, you know, get a openpayments.alice, you actually get back a valid response. Right now, you don't. You get a 404. Um, so uh, that's on the to-do list is to actually implement, you know, run a run a, a nice mock server or even an instance of Rafiki that hosts these um, and can respond to them and, and give you back valid responses. So this is, um, you know, an unauthorized endpoint, the only one. 
where you can you know get the payment point of details everything else would be authorized with an access token uh, the one we've seen already is creating an incoming payment um, so you would pass in your gnap header here um, something like that which you would get back from your from the or server um, and you would end up and, and then you'd be able to create an, uh, an incoming payment the state diagram for an incoming payment looks a bit like this so um, when a incoming payment is created it starts in a pending state and at any point in time the client that created it can update it to be completed so even if you never received any payments you can you know say i'm you know i'm done i'm not going to send any more payments to this uh, and it moves to completed state um, it can also uh, move to a processing state as soon as uh, payments start to be received so once it's in pending state it'll have inter an interledger address associated with it so an address and secret for streaming payments um, and and if we had you know alternative transport protocols in the future we could um, you know update this data model to support those as well but i think for now you know um, address and secret works well so you can start streaming payments into this incoming payment uh, at which point the um, it moves into a processing state so if you are getting this resource um, you'll see that the the state would have changed to processing it will also it also has an expiry property so um, this could be set based on policies by the um, by the resource server or it could be set by the client when it creates the uh, when it creates the payment and if the payment um, expires it moves into an expired state and that's a final state as well what we expect the um, receiving uh, provider to do is if the received amount equals or, or exceeds the incoming amount at any point in time, it goes from processing to completed. And so the uh, receiving provider stops accepting payments, rejects any new packets um, sent to that address. Uh, I won't go through all the details here, but at a high level, um, description and external ref are the things that um, I've mentioned to you already where you would specify a description or you can provide an external reference that um, allows the receiver to reconcile this payment back to something like an invoice. Um, expiry, as I mentioned in the state, it, uh, in, in comes the state, impacts the state. Uh, incoming amount is just the amount that you want um, uh, to be received. All of these are optional. So you can create an incoming payment that's completely empty and then you'll get back a ILP address to start sending to. So that would be the way we would recommend that web monetization moves in the future. If web monetization moves from SPSB to um, open payments would be that it every time a uh, web monetization provider encounters a payment pointer, they would post directly to the incoming payments um, endpoint of that payment pointer and that's how they would get back the ILP address in secret to start streaming to. Um, um, actually, yeah. we've changed the spec. We've changed the spec to allow for that now. Uh, every web monetization provider or every web monetization implementer, like the browser, decides what type they'd like to support. Uh, we're obviously encouraging people to support both direct IP access webmanization and open payment webmanization. So if the browser wants to create the stream um, and package up packets of money and send them directly in Interledger, that's up to them. Or if they want to use the discoverability feature of open payments and do that instead, it's up to them and the uh, whatever the provider support. So you'll have, uh, you have multiple different use cases of how that works. But we've changed the spec. We actually changed it last week. Uh, mm -hmm. to account for both of these options to, to work with web monetization. Because uh, before it was restricted for um, just SPSP on stream, uh, and we've opened it up to, to allow for this. Yeah, I, I, like if, if we're um, successful in getting uh, open payments widely adopted and implemented and supported, my gut would be that we should move away from SPSP. Um, uh, and keep things simple and have one way of doing it. Um, the work for the server is the same. So um, if the server uh, receives a get against the payment pointer and returns back ILP address and secret, uh, 
as it does with SPSP, it's pretty much the same as if it got a post and then returned back the same details. Um, so there's, it's not like there's extra work unless the server wants to protect incoming payment endpoints and require authorization. There is some more work, but that's up to the server. Um, the server could choose to have unprotected incoming payment endpoints uh, when uh, for certain payment pointers. So if you get a payment pointer from your provider that you um, uh, explicitly say you're going to use for web monetization, then you might, um, the provider might decide to allow incoming payments to be created anonymously on that payment pointer. So these are all things that I think are gonna, we're gonna sort of figure out as we go along. Um, on the topic of web monetization, uh, this, um, we still have to refine, I think, how this works. But one thing that we have added here is the ability to request that the receiver generate receipts. Um, so all that you can do when you create the incoming payment is ask for receipts to be enabled. Um, and in your response, you'll get back um, a, a response that says uh, they have been enabled. Um, now, the assumption here is that as the account owner or verifier, you will have a pre-agreed um, receipt secret with your provider. And when you get receipts, those will contain a nonce and an HMAC, and you'll be able to recalculate the HMAC based on the, the secret that you knew, you know and the nonce that's in the receipt. And so you'll be able to verify the receipts. But um, we haven't included any details here of, of actually um, exchanging the receipt secret and, and receipt nonce in the same way as uh, has been done with SPSP and the verifier um, as a sort of third external party. That's, that's up for discussion if there's still a use case for that. Um, okay, uh, we don't have a lot of time, so I'll just very quickly say um, the create outgoing payment is a little bit more complicated and we probably won't have time to get into all the details here, but the goal here is this is how you would create a payment um, from an account. So if you have the permissions, obviously to create an outgoing payment resource, you need to have the right permissions. You'll create a payment, it'll be in the pending state, um, you'll immediately get back a, a 201 created response to say that it's been created, um, but it may very quickly move into a failed state. So if you poll it again soon after, it may move into a failed state because some of the details you provided actually weren't be able to be validated by the server. So uh, it's possible the server may go and do that validation synchronously. Uh, like, I think it's not wise. I think the better way to do it is the server checks the basic uh, input that you've given. And if it looks valid, it's, it creates the, um, the outgoing payment in a pending state. And then things that it's going to need to go and check are things like um, the receiving uh, account or payment. So if you want to send a payment and you just have the actual um, payment pointer, you would put that in but then you would need to specify a either receive amount or send amount. If you specify a receiving payment, it's assumed that this URL points to an incoming payment. Um, so what the server will do when you, when you submit this, you'll submit either receiving account or receiving payment. It will go and query those and make sure that they are what they're expected to be. Uh, if it's an account that, that it's able to create an incoming payment at that account. Uh, if you, um, don't specify a uh, receive amount, um, but you do specify a receiving payment, then the receive amount will um, be the incoming the, the um, incoming amount on this incoming payment. Uh, and if that doesn't exist, then that will fail. So there's a bunch of checks that the, the, the provider needs to make um, before it transitions the, um, the payment um, from pending into prepared. So what it will then do is, once it's got all the information it needs, it's going to calculate rates, fees, and amounts. So uh, it may send some probing packets over the ILP network to determine the rate um, to the receiving account. Um, it'll calculate whatever of its own fees. It'll come up with an expiry for all of that information. So it'll decide, okay, I've got a rate and I've got fees, and these are valid for 30 seconds, five minutes, whatever the case may be. It will update the amounts and the expiry on the outgoing payment and it will transition the payment to a prepared state. Now, 
if the payment goes into a prepared state, but the authorized property is already set to true, it'll immediately move to processing and start processing uh, until it's completed. Um, if it authorized is not set to true, it will sit and wait and prepared. The reason we've uh, got a separation between those two is it's possible that you might have permission to create outgoing payments, but not authorize them. So that's quite an interesting concept and, and create some cool use cases, I think, where uh, you can have permission to authorize payments could be tied, for example, to a device and the biometric, um, the key on a device that has to sign the outgoing payment URL or something like that. And so, for example, I could um, be paying using Google Pay and Google Pay has access to my account. So Google goes and creates the outgoing payments at my account, um, but Google has to take that outgoing payment and submit it through the TPM on my device. Um, and I have to view the details and you know scan my fingerprint to authorize it. And then that permission, um, only that key is, is uh, usable to update this payment from um, and set the authorized flag to true, in which case it moves to processing. Um, if if the expiry uh, uh, if if the payment expires, it moves to an expired state, and then you'd need to create a new outgoing payment. So, um, but what you can do is uh, update the the payment with new amounts. Um, to cause the process to uh, to happen again, and that gives the server, the the sender, a chance to recalculate the fees amounts um, and and rates and set a new expiry. So um, that's high level the state flow for a um, for an outgoing payment. There's a lot of detail in here, and probably still a lot more that needs to be added. So I'd encourage folks to have a look at all of that. Um, still to do, we want to add a whole lot of recipes. So code examples of how you would do um, different things. We've got a, just the basic query a payment point uh, recipe here. Um, flesh out all the guides. So there's very basics here on GNAP on request authentication, but I want to specify exactly which keys we allow, how digest signatures work, et cetera. And then specifically the flow of how you actually request access grants and so on. So quite a bit to still add here, but a lot of this is just going to be translating the existing uh, GNAP protocol into open payments, which is basically saying it's a profile, it's a subset of GNAP. It's, it is GNAP, but it's um, only with some, uh, with, with limited key support and, and, uh, and options. Um, thank you, Adrian. I feel like we're a little bit over, but this feels like a lot. Thank you so much. It also feels like you're gonna come back next month and give us an update. So I'm going to add open payments is something that's on the regular agenda, same way as Pinboss and Rafiki and everything else. So we're going to put this there until we're happy with the way the guide looks like. And you just have to come back every month and, and give us an, an update on it. Um, yeah, David, I'm happy to do that. I think there's, there, there will be quite a few updates. I mean, it's, a, it's an important part of what we're doing. So happy to get yes. an open payments update as we go. Perfect, perfect. Before he left, um, a bunch of people left because we're, we're over. But before he left, David had the question, which I think is a good question. And after we get that question answered, we'll, we're going to all leave. Is the dev website going away or will it be updated to point to the new doc site or keeping it around for posterity? Uh, I, I think it's worth keeping it for a while. But I think um, we probably want to repurpose it as more of a dev focused um, like tooling. You know, we'll SKs there will have maybe a test, a sandbox, some test um, tools, those kinds of things. Um, but as soon as folks are happy with where we are with the current API, I think we should probably take the old one off to avoid confusion. Um, perfect, perfect, Adrian. Thank you. Um, Uchi, Imran also had a question about OS Africa. Is it possible to register for the OS Africa on the website, festival on their website? If you couldn't find anything, if you could yeah. reach back out to Inrun with a, a, a link, that'd be good. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. So it should be on uh, Open Collective. I'll share the link now directly. On uh, 
Perfect, and I'll add that. I'll add that to the agenda. Thank you, everybody. I think it's the first time ever that we ran over, and I love the fact that we ran over. Uh, I'll see you all in a month, and if we manage to fill out the monthly slot next month, fingers crossed, we'll go back to having this call once every two weeks instead of once a month. But thank you all for joining. Thank you all for for the update, Adrian. That was really good. Thank you so much, and I'll see you all in about a month. Bye, Viz. Thanks, Alex. Ciao. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.